0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. As I've been thinking about the cross, for some reason, very much this week, I was reminded of Paul's words in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 when he said, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except... The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross, and I to the world. It was the second century church father, Origen, who once said, Who among those who have read the Gospels do not know that Christ makes all human suffering his own? This is my observation. The claims of the cross of Jesus Christ are true. In Christ, suffering finds healing because suffering can find meaning. In Christ, suffering finds resolution because suffering can find glory. In Christ, suffering finds healing because suffering finds hope, and hope cannot be found unless suffering first visits. This is my observation. The claims of the empty tomb of the risen Lord are true. Because in the risen Christ, suffering finds its end. In Christ, suffering finds its defeat. As Greg Boyd once said, the cross wasn't so we could walk in the power of the resurrection. The resurrection was so we could walk in the power of the cross. To get to a resurrected Lord, you've got to go through a cross. But to understand the cross, we must believe and embrace resurrection. And for the deepest healing in our hearts, what we long for, the peace of God, the shalom of God, the wholeness of God. The suffering soul must meet the suffering God. This is to come face to face with the crucified and risen Lord, because it is from the cross that Jesus draws all of us unto himself. It is from the empty tomb that he invites all of us to overcome a new way of being in the world that leads to a new way of doing life in the world, a way of self-giving love and gracious hospitality, which, because of cross, becomes our freedom. And so Paul says, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord, Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross, and I have been crucified to the world. See, the Apostle Paul knows success. Before his conversion to Christianity, his resume was filled with what would have been considered among the religious elite grand accomplishments. He was born of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, yet he obtained dual citizenship with Rome, becoming a Roman citizen in Roman society. Regarding the law of Moses, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied under one of the most significant Pharisees and teachers the world had ever known. Regarding his work ethic, Paul was a tireless worker for the Jewish cause. Regarding the righteousness, the right living, the just living that is in the law, Paul was considered by his peers blameless. Paul knows success in his day. Paul knows anxieties. The anxieties of a world brought on by fear and violence. See, before Paul's conversion, Paul was a radical extremist that led an empire-wide persecution against Christianity. Paul has said that it was his work ethic and zeal combined with the so-called knowledge of the law of Moses that compelled him to persecute the church. Paul led a band of terrorist radicals to murder Christians simply because they confessed that Jesus is the Messiah King of Israel. Let that sit for a moment. His name, his name would have stirred great anxiety among the church. As Paul would be remembered as the one who held the coats of the Jews who stoned the first martyr our Christian brother Stephen. Yet this is a man who wrote the majority of the New Testament text for which we proclaim. But for Paul, there was no greater accomplishment than what God had performed in the crucified king. I mean, for Paul, the only thing that could have come close was his own willingness to submit to the cross and have all other accomplishments and all other anxieties that terrorize the world be crucified with Christ on the cross. But Paul never lost sight of the greatness of the cross and the scandal that was found in the cross. See, the cross represented the most brutal kind of death and torture in Roman society and in the history of the world, arguably. The cross was not a source of comfort to people. It was not a religious symbol of any kind prior to Christianity. No one was rocking a wooden cross around their neck. I saw them sort of stitched cross on their tunics. To the Jewish and Roman ears, it was a disgusting, offensive instrument of death performed by the Romans for anyone other than a Roman. And it was reserved for a very particular people of society a very particular class. It was reserved for people who were especially violent, committing violent crimes, for people who engaged in sedition, revolutionary behaviors against the Roman government, subversive people. And it was saved for slaves who rebelled against their masters. It was the epitome of humiliation. As the cross was a death instrument reserved only for criminals who threatened the stability and good of society. Listen to the ancient descriptions of the cross written by a non-Christian around the time of Paul's ministry. He says, Punished with limbs outstretched, they see the stake as their fate. They are fastened and nailed to it in the most bitter torment, evil food for birds of prey and grim picking for dogs. The Roman poet Juvenal once said, The vulture hurries from dead cattle and dogs and crosses to bring some of the carrion to her offspring. Another Roman writer named Seneca, the Younger, who lived during the ministry of Jesus and would later become an advisor to Emperor Nero, once said this about the various crucifixions he witnessed. I see crosses there, not just of one kind, but made in many different ways. Some have their victims with head down to the ground, some impale their private parts, others stretch out their arms on the gibbet. Crucifixion was almost always preceded by some other form of torture as if it wasn't bad enough itself that allowed the executioner an opportunity to display his strength. Jesus was flogged. Others would have had their eyes gouged out or tongues cut out or limbs broken. And since the cross was reserved for a particular class of people in society, people who committed especially violent crimes, people who engaged in sedition against the Roman government and slaves who rebelled against their masters, it became an instrument of death used by the Romans to terrorize potentially dangerous populations of society into submission. So in your scriptures, when you see the two thieves on the cross, they were not petty thieves. They did not just steal something. The only way they could have gotten on the cross is if their thievery was connected to sedition or subversion to the empire that threatened the empire. You did not say something bad about Rome or you got a cross. You did not talk about Caesar on Facebook. You got a cross. It was used against groups who posed the greatest threat to the security and stability of society and was designed to be so horrific and gruesome that these groups would not even dare to act against the establishment. It was to protect society against threats, the death of revulsion for subversives and rebels and bottom feeders that would threaten society, especially considering that Rome was an honor and shame culture. Now think about this. It makes sense that Jesus would die on a Roman cross. By declaring that Jesus was son of God, he was threatening Roman society because Caesar was publicly declared as son of God. And to the Jews, Jesus declaring himself as a son of man, which is a title in the Old Testament directly connected to the Messiah King, threatened the stability of Jewish society in Jewish religion among Jewish leaders because nothing about Jesus measured up to the promised Messiah King stemming from the line of King David. The crucifixion was an emotionally shocking and shattering event for the believers of Jesus. So no wonder His disciples scattered and mourned no association with Him at first with the exception of John. And yet we give the disciples such a hard time for bailing on Jesus when He's in the cross and I'm not sure we would stay there either. We are so far removed from the meaning of the cross that it has simply become something we hang on a wall or put on a stage or wear around our neck a stitch on a shirt or hold when we pray or sing about when we're in church service. And the cross was a still, such an utterly gruesome, humiliating, and absurd, foolish thing. And so to say that the God of heaven and earth died on the cross was just folly. Roman philosopher and statesman, the famous Marcus Tullius Cicero, who died only about 43 years before Jesus' birth, once said this about the cross. How grievous a thing it is to be disgraced by a public court. How grievous to suffer a fine. How grievous to suffer vanishment. And yet in the midst of any such disaster, we retain some degree of liberty. Even if we are threatened with death, we may die free men. But the executioner, the veiling of the head, and the very word cross should be far removed not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. For it is not only the actual occurrence of these things or the endurance of them, but the liability to them. The the expectation, indeed, the very mention of them that is unworthy of a Roman citizen and a free man. yet Paul says, as for me, I will never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross, he says, and I to the world. When Paul, as Roman citizen, Jewish by birth, Christian founder, Christian leader and church planner, former terrorist and radical extremist and persecuted the church, says that he refuses to boast in anything but the cross, what he's doing is bringing something so utterly ugly and absurd to the center of our faith. And to say that a king who died on a Roman cross was worthy of allegiance and worship was just absurd. Ryan Zond once said, part of the scandal of the cross is that Jesus was numbered among the thousands executed by Rome in the name of freedom and security. When Jesus was crucified, he was just one of three that day. This is divine solidarity with all human suffering at the hands of even a brutal empire. See, in the cross, we see God entering into our suffering, into the suffering of the most despicable way in our world in the cross we see as theologian sebastian war once said that the crucified jesus is no stranger to suffering he's no stranger to brokenness jesus is no stranger to a history filled with those bruised by violence and hatred he's no stranger to the soul that's enveloped in dark nights and smothered by fear in the cross we see that jesus is no stranger to the, to the inner longings for success. When we see the cross, we see that Jesus is no stranger to our desires to consider ourselves more important than others. Jesus is no stranger to anyone who boasts in the cross. But the tragedy is He's a stranger to many Christians. Even in our church, sitting right here, because of the cross, we don't see the cross. And, and you hear that and you think, well, not me. But see, for Paul to say that, As for me, I will never boast in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the world has been crucified, to me and I, to the world. Paul is saying that the cross reorders the world. It reorders society. It puts it in a different way. And as a result, it reorders his life where priorities must shift. The cross becomes a place where the turn of the ages begin, where the age of sin and death the, the result of an unredeemed, under a cursed world fades away and a new age comes where it's a world of new creation, where God's kingdom is broken in and where He's reigning in a new way and then He begins His reign. No longer do we have to play according to the rules of prevailing society. No longer do we allow our lives because of the cross to just settle down into the way that society has always been. But yet you look not but 50 years ago and you see that Christians did not see the cross. And they sat in church buildings and sang songs and heard sermons and did not see the cross. And today it's the same. It just doesn't look quite like the KKK standing in a church building. Seemingly being celebrated with the Jesus save signs. But it's the same. Because the cross hasn't completely reordered our lives. And yet we sit and think that it has. And it's losing its meaning. When pride and idolatry and self-seeking love and injustice begins to take over our lives, Jesus gets reduced to a cliché or a lifeless religion. And we are really good at escaping the blame. We would much rather blame them than say that we have played any complicit way into that system. We would much rather point the blame somewhere else to the liberals or the conservatives, not myself. And yet we're a people of the cross. And it's dawned on me that every Sunday we gather Not merely to worship, we gather to make a decision. A decision as to whether or not we're going to boast only in the cross and allow our lives to be crucified to it and take up our cross and follow Jesus or whether we're going to just make a decision to go about business as normal. We make a decision every Sunday. Because come Sunday afternoon or Sunday night or Monday, we're going to be forced with all kinds of other decisions. And at that point, when we're at the place of decision, we have to decide what are we really going to bear. Are we going to bear the weight of a cross where we're willing to sacrifice life and self-giving love and humility? Sacrificing those things or whether we're going to sacrifice the cross all over again because it doesn't fit our sensibilities or what I really want to do or I can just get forgiveness for it anyway. Or I might have to admit that I'm a little more sinful than I would like to. Or that I might have to admit that I've been complicit to the injustices of a society or a world. See, for Paul, the cross is necessary because of the kind of world that we have made for ourselves. A world bent not toward God, but toward self-seeking motives, violence, and death. In church, Jesus does not want us to miss the cross. He never has. And so Jesus, when he's with his disciples in Luke chapter 9, he's praying in private and his disciples are with him. And he asks his disciples, in verse 18, who do you, the crowds say that I am? And they answer, John the Baptist. Uh, there's Elijah. Still others say that you're one of the ancient prophets who've come back to life. Jesus says, but you, but you. Okay, I, I get the crowds now. Okay, you've got a pulse on the crowds, and it's easy to think about who the crowds think, who they think. So now, who do you My disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, God's king, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warns and instructs them to tell this to no one, saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. And then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. A daily decision. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, let loses or forfeits himself, his very soul, his very core of his identity? Verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And every day, Jesus says we make a decision, a decision to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And the crosses that we bear are not what we often say when we talk about bearing crosses. They're not burdens. They're not death and sickness. do not That's not the cross I meant to bear. When Jesus says, take up your cross daily, he's offering a choice, a decision as to whether or not we're going to decide a different way of life, as to whether or not we're going to live a reordered life under the rule and reign of God. He's, he's asking us if we're going to choose even the harder way. And yet, again, it's easy for us to, to point the blame somewhere else and say, well, we're, we're, we're not really that complicit. And so the irony of this very same text is verse 26. Forever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. Is the same verse that's often quoted in those forwarded emails or those shared Facebook statuses that say if you don't share this, 75 people are going to die, basically. And then at the end, as a result of guilt and as a an terrible, terrible misunderstanding of the weight of this text, has the audacity to say, and by the way, if you don't share this forward, you're denying Jesus and he's going to deny you." And we do it, and we do it, we're like, oh, it's such a sweet story. I'm going to share it to 10 of my friends. And, and, it, and we don't realize that we're very subconsciously complicit to this way because the cross is becoming, and maybe for some of us just flat out is, when you look at my life, devoid of its meaning. And we wonder then how the KKK can stand in a sanctuary, whether Jesus saved signs 50 years ago, well, they still do. They're just not wearing robes. We're okay. We're okay. Yeah, because the cross has lost its meaning. Take up your cross daily, Jesus says, and follow me. This week I was consumed with why it is that I, or we, love the Jesus of the cross, but I, or we, do not want to follow him to the cross. And, and I suppose the generic answer is obvious. I mean, who wants to sacrifice anything? Who wants to really lay it down? Who wants to do the work of really trying to love neighbor or remain Pure with the Lord, or be humble enough to confess my failings and misgiving, to say I'm sorry. And the sad truth is, when I take a, an honest look at my own life, I know all the particulars of this generic answer and all the things I'd rather hold on to than let go. And yet, Jesus teaches me, He teaches us, that it is in the bearing of the cross that we become more like Jesus. And after all, aren't I and you to know Jesus so fully that we become more like Jesus so that we may learn to love like Jesus and treat others as if they are loved by Jesus? Or better yet, to treat others as if they are Jesus, like Romans 15, 7 and Matthew 25, 40 tell us. And yet Paul teaches us that it is in the cross we find life. We find life in the cross. We find conviction for our conversion. For the cross, and in the cross we find life. Because we find the death of sin and death. In the cross we find life because we find the power of God working in us through the life of Jesus. And the crucified God becomes our own where all that we hold dear is going to be subverted. It's going to be turned upside down and reordered. In the cross, we find life in our suffering, redemption in our restlessness, sanctification in our sacrifice, happiness in our humility, and life and self-giving love. And on my most faithful day of obedience, and maybe on yours, we can see that to be true. We've experienced sanctification and sacrificial love. We've experienced happiness and humility. And in the lives of those that I have known, that have known Jesus for many years, people like David Faith and Ray Colesworthy and David Deal and Catherine Crow and Shirley Books and Denny Trotter and David Heap. People that have known Jesus for a long period of time, I see this all to be true. I see it true because they have been forced to trust Jesus closely and portray him more fully and faithfully in their demeanor and their actions. I have seen this to be true in Harry Gambrell and Norma Gambrell and many others who've walked with Jesus for a long period of time. I've seen it because life has forced them to move through the suffering. I've witnessed them suffer well through their loss. They've suffered poorly, but they've suffered well. I've seen them find peace in seasons of uncertainty, and demonstrate holiness in their willingness to give themselves to others. I've seen them find joy in considering others more important than themselves. Not their rights all the time. In their self-interest, I've seen them find life-giving purpose and self-giving love, and they are not perfect people. None of them are perfect people. If you don't believe me, make Dave Faith angry. And his imperfections will shine like the morning star. They're not perfect people. They're just faithful people. They've committed to taking Jesus seriously. And they've learned what Jesus means when He says, Take up your cross daily. And they show me that the cross is not merely something Christ does for us, but is a pattern that we are called to follow. And they remind me that when I fail, as I often do, I can rest in the truth of the cross Jesus carried. But they also remind me that after I've rested for a while, I must once again pick up my cross and continue the journey. Of following close to Jesus in the confidence of His love, not in the confidence of my performance because I'm not going to perform. So I'd lean into His cross because He performed perfectly for me. But I could rest in that and then I take my cross. And I'm reminded by Ray and by Dave and by so many others that I'm not meant to travel this journey of long, but in the company of others bearing a cross. And they remind me that in a world prone to violence and self-seeking power, Jesus did not save the world with ballots or bullets, and neither can we. Instead, Jesus saved the world with a better love revealed in his broken body. And this must be our way too because it displays the power of his kingdom. My friend, theologian, and scholar Ben Langford has said that The church that views its existence and engagement in the world through the cross will seek to posture itself in positions of vulnerability rather than positions of power. It will posture itself in positions of vulnerability rather than positions of power. When we as a church become clear on this, the gospel will become clear through us. Christian, we must remember that the world will not be changed by your persuasive arguments or our power-mongering. We're not called to beat people with the cross. We're called to invite them to it. The world will only be changed by tangible acts of compassion and love, posture and humility because that's what we see on the cross. Perhaps then and only then will our words actually begin to matter. A church like this is formed through submission. But this is what the cross of Christ teaches. Church, we should boast only in the cross. Because in the cross, you and I have found our lives. You and I are no longer our past. We're no longer our performance. We're no longer the things we did yesterday. We're no longer our prison records and our addictions. We're no longer our failures and our firings. We're no longer any of those things. We're no longer a bottom line number on some company's ledger. We're no longer those things. Not in the cross. We're free. We're no longer held guilty before God because of the sins we've committed, because God, though He is holy, loves us and put Himself on a cross and said, I've got you. We are freed because of the cross. We're no longer given to the systems of the world and all of the structures in the world that create meaning. We have our own meaning now because of the cross. We're free. of the cross take up your cross jesus says and follow me of course because it is in the cross that we see that god is for us he didn't save us from himself on the cross he saved us from ourselves on the cross he saved us for himself on the cross It is from the cross we see that God invites us into His life, now and forever. And when from the Mount of Calvary we walk through the garden of God's promises and peek inside the empty tomb, we remember that we can and will overcome no matter the weight of the cross we carry. And together we can experience a new way of being in this world. Christian, you can have, because of the cross, joy and peace and hope. And lead your life toward a path of self-giving love which is the way of the cross. And by the mercies of God and the truth of the crucified Jesus who is risen Lord. It is there. It is the way of the cross. It is the way of self-giving love that we find our true freedom. Our true life. And is what the apostle would have called Christianity.